0: I want to begin with a scripture in the book of Proverbs tonight. It's found in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. And the title of tonight's Bible study you may think is a Christmas message, but it's not. It's Come All Ye Faithful. (laughs) Come All Ye Faithful. And here in Proverbs 20, verse 6, we read, Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. You know, there are many, many scriptures throughout the Bible about faithfulness. So many that talk about God's faithfulness. It's one of the outstanding qualities of God. He can be trusted. He can be counted on. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And we find throughout the scriptures different men and women that were singled out and chosen and used by God in very special ways, and very often the common denominator we see when we really look at their character is that they were faithful. And there are a couple things about this scripture that really captured my attention. First of all, you'll notice there's a discrepancy, or sort of a contradiction between what we often think about ourselves and what the reality is. And it even goes beyond that. It says, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. And that word that's translated here, claims, it's an interesting word. I was studying it earlier today. And every meaning of the word is to vocalize. It, it, it literally means to cry, to call, or to proclaim. So, in other words, the idea is many people go around proclaiming that they're faithful, that they have unfailing love, that they have this, that, or the other, But there seems to be a big difference between what we often claim or think to be true about ourselves and what is actually true. And, of course, God is not interested in what we claim. He's interested in what the reality of your life and my life is. And it's interesting, uh, there are a number of scriptures that speak about this. I'm just going to take you to one Uh, passage where we find this three times just in a couple of verses. It's found in 1 John chapter 1, and for instance in verse 6, John says, if we claim, notice that, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. I want you to notice in each one of these three scriptures, we have this same kind of a discrepancy between what's being claimed and what the reality is. If we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. And in the same chapter, verse 8, 1 John 1, verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, apparently, it's fairly common and quite probable that you and I are going to be making these kinds of claims, but we need to be careful that what we're claiming and the reality are one and the same. And finally, in verse 10... He uses this same expression, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So, obviously it should be of some concern to all of us that we go beyond just what we claim as our spiritual life or our ministry or whatever, and take a closer look at our life. And coming back to the opening scripture, um, we can make all kinds of claims, but it seems to me from the way this verse is worded, that God is looking way beyond our words and our claims, and it says, but a faithful man who can find. And implied in that word find is something that's being looked for. And I would maintain that throughout the scriptures, God has been looking for faithful men and faithful women. And on the same thought of what we claim, Jesus also made many claims. And it's often been said that if you look at all the claims of Christ, who he claimed to be, either he was a lunatic, completely deluded and out of his mind, making all these wild claims, excuse me, making all these wild claims that he was one with God, that he was the creator, and all these things, or he really is he claimed to be. And in John 8 we'll just look quickly at two places where he speaks to this very fact that what he was claiming about himself was indeed the truth. And in John 8 verse 24 Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Notice he was very much aware of the claims he was making about himself. And if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. He claimed to be the very Son of God. And later in this chapter, he makes one of the most amazing claims of all. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming to be the I am of Exodus chapter 3, where God told Moses at the burning bush, I am that I am. And so, this was an amazing claim that Jesus was making, and then in verse 28 of John 8, he basically repeats this. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And, you know, over the years, uh, almost 40 to be exact, that I've been walking with the Lord, or trying to at least, um, I've seen many, many people claim many things. Um, People that have come with great claims about their spirituality, their ministry and so forth and so on. And sadly, many times the claims didn't line up with the reality. And this is something that causes me to search my own life and my own heart and ask God, am I really the person I claim to be? And I don't want to just have a bunch of empty claims. I want to be able to say, like Jesus, I am the one I claim to be. Now, I'm not claiming to be the Son of God or the Messiah, but we should take a close look at our life and ask ourselves, when God comes and looks at my life, has he found a faithful man or a faithful woman? And again, let me read the opening verse. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man, who can find? So, God is looking for faithful people, and I find very often uh in churches, everybody wants a big ministry. They don't want a little ministry. They want a big ministry. They want big responsibilities. They want big titles. They want to be up front on the stage, under the lights. They want to be... Uh, well-known, they want to be famous and prominent and all this stuff. But, you know, God has strange ways of testing us first to see if we're ready for any of those things. And what I really want to talk about tonight is how God uses little things to test our faithfulness. We want to start off with the big things give me a big ministry, give me a big title, give me a big position, and I'll prove to you and I'll prove to God how faithful I can be. And I think we're going to see in a number of scriptures, God turns around and says, okay, let's test you first in little things. Let's see if you can be trusted. Let's see if you can be faithful in little things, and then maybe little by little, will advance you or promote you to bigger things. And there are a couple of key passages that are well-known that I want us to look at tonight. The first one's found in Matthew chapter 25, and it's the parable of the talents. And we've studied this on previous occasions. And just to give a little background, we're not going to read the whole parable, but The text actually begins in Matthew 25, verse 14. And a couple of key points to understand this whole parable. It's about uh, a man who's entrusting money to his different servants. And the word that's used here is talents. And because of this parable, we now... Have adopted the use of that word to refer to musical talents, other kinds of gifts or abilities. But in the strictest sense of this parable, talent was a measurement of money. It was an amount of money. And so he gave five talents of money to one servant, two talents of money to another servant, and one talent of money to a third servant. So each one received a different amount of money, but there's something similar about all three men. They may or may not have understood this, but they were being tested. the The master was entrusting his property, notice that it wasn't their money, it was his property that was being entrusted to them, and then he was actually going to test them And see what they did with his property. And finally, in Matthew 25, verse 19, it says, After a long time, that's interesting, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Settled accounts with them. Bible says, Every one of us will one day give an account to God. God is a good accountant, and He keeps very careful accounts on each one of our lives. And even though it may delay for a long time, ultimately, He's going to demand an accounting from each one of us of the talents, the gifts, the physical resources, Everything that he's entrusted into our hands, there's going to be an accounting of those things. And then in verse 20, we read, the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. So he took what the master gave him and he multiplied it. And here's the master's response. Verse 21. Well done, good and what? Faithful servant. Doesn't say well done, good and talented servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And here's what I really want to focus on tonight. You have been faithful with a few things. Not a lot. Faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice the order or the progression there. He was tested in just a few things. He proved to be faithful in a few things. Now and only now does the master promote him And put him in charge of many things. And similarly, the man with the two talents, he multiplied his and gained two more. And so in verse 23, when he's called to give an account to the master, the master replies, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And of course, the third man, with the one talent, he buried his. He buried his talent. He didn't do anything with it. He was afraid, and he hid it in the ground. And here's the response from the master with this third servant in verse 26. Very strong language. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. And finally, verse 28, the talent is taken from him and given to the first man who now has ten talents, and his destiny is not good at all. Verse 30, throw the worthless servant. Three different adjectives are used to describe this third servant, wicked, lazy, and worthless. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, it's interesting, the master didn't use the word, but implied in the whole message of the parable, he was not faithful. He was unfaithful. And his unfaithfulness caused him to be judged as being lazy, wicked, and unprofitable or worthless. I don't know about you, I don't want those things being said about me on the final day. And whatever adjustments, whatever changes I need to be making in my life, I want to hear those words, good and faithful servant. And it's just a few things that God has entrusted to each one of us. It doesn't say great matters. You've been faithful with a few things. And I was doing a little bit of study on these words. The word few, at least in the NIV, it may be translated differently in other translations if you're using those, but Going back to verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. The actual Greek word there is, and this isn't important, but if you're interested, it's the Greek word oligos. And it literally means puny. Puny, small, or few. You've been faithful with a few things puny things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Um, Interesting there, the word many is sort of a compound Greek word. And often in the Greek language, I'm not a Greek scholar, but sometimes they'll double the same word. For extra emphasis, and that's what Jesus does here. The expression is actually polos, polos, almost the same identical word that's repeated for emphasis. It means much, great, or many. So they were faithful with just a few puny responsibilities, and then He puts them in charge of great, of grand, of extensive things. And I also want to draw your attention to that phrase, put you in charge. Once this servant was proven to be faithful in just a few things... The master had this in mind all along. He wanted to give him a much greater charge, a much greater ministry, a much larger sphere of influence. But he first needed to be proven faithful in just a few little things. And let me say this. We're not all called to be apostles or prophets or... Uh, pastors, but we're all called by God to rule and reign with him one day in his kingdom. And he's going to be putting each one of us in charge of things, not just in this life, but in eternity. He wants to put us in charge of great things. And we'll see in a minute in another Scripture similar to this. He wants to put some of us in charge of cities, whole cities. And yet, the key here is faithfulness in a few little things. And notice also, and we're going to find this in the next passage that we study also, they were faithful with things that didn't belong to them. This was not their property. This property belonged to the master. He just entrusted it to them for a time, and as stewards, they ultimately had to give an account for what they did with that trust. And very often, we're entrusted with things that aren't ours. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I tend to be less careful, less passionate about something when it's not mine, because of my selfishness. If it's my car, man, I'm going to wash it, wax it, take real good care of that puppy, because it's mine. But if it's the church's van, or if it's somebody else's car, eh, who cares? it's not mine. And I want you to notice, in both of these parables, the real test of their faithfulness was with someone else's property, with someone else's stuff. And let me come back again to this whole concept of being tested in little things. We often treat little things as Eh, not really significant, not really important. But, you know, there are many scriptures in the Bible that teach us that there are a lot of little things that are extremely important, and they're certainly extremely important to God. And these so-called little things, insignificant things, I believe in God's eyes are of great significance. And that's why faithfulness, even in these little things, is such a big thing with God. And we're not going to take time to look up all these scriptures. I'll give you the references. And by the way, I do have written notes for tonight's Bible study, which I will be making available on our website uh, if you want to access them. And it will have all these references on there. But in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, it talks about little foxes. Little foxes that can spoil the vine. Reference, of course, is to the grapes that are ripening in a vineyard. And these are just little foxes, but they can spoil the harvest. And similar kind of a scripture is found in Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, verse 1, where it compares a little folly to a fly falling into the anointing oil, or into the ointment. And we would say, oh, it's just a little thing. But a little folly can spoil the whole anointing. And in the New Testament, Paul refers to this several times. Uh, By the way, I think I failed to give the reference on that previous one, if you want to look it up. It's Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1, the one about a little folly. A third one is found in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, and Paul also makes reference to this in Galatians, where he says, a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. We don't use the word leaven very much nowadays. It's talking about yeast. And those of you that bake bread or other things that make use of yeast, you only need to mix a little bit of yeast in with the dough And it works its way throughout the whole mass of dough and causes it to rise. So, it's not so much the amount of leaven as the power of the leaven. So, even a little bit of leaven, and in this context, it's used in a negative sense to refer to sin or iniquity, and just a little bit of it can ruin a whole lot. And finally, uh, James chapter three refers to a very little member of our body. Just a little member. It's called the tongue. But he says it's a great fire that can set the whole world on fire. So even though the tongue is a little member, it can actually do great good or great harm. So, in just these few references, and there are many, many more, we see the importance of little things. And coming back to this first parable in Matthew 25, these servants were being tested with a few things. And once they were proven faithful, the Master was wanting to give them great responsibility. Put you in charge of many things, it says. And you can look throughout Scripture and find example after example. Moses, were told, he was a man who was faithful, a faithful man. And I do want to take you to another interesting scripture that shows the importance of faithfulness before we are entrusted with responsibility. And it's found in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 7. And you'll remember, Nehemiah was charged with the responsibility of rebuilding all of the walls in Jerusalem that had been broken and burned down when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians raided the city. And in Nehemiah 7, verses 1 and 2, Nehemiah says, after the wall had been rebuilt, And I had set the doors in place. The gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem. Notice that. Here's a man who's now being put in charge of the whole city. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because... Now just pause there for a minute. There's a reason why he's putting these men in charge. Because, and the NIV says, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. The uh, King James says, because he was a faithful man and feared God above many. Here again we see a a sequence, a certain process. This man had already been proven to be a man of integrity, a faithful man who feared God more than anyone else, and therefore he was put in charge of something great. He was given great responsibility Put in charge of Jerusalem. And I'd like to suggest, and I think we'll see this more even in the next parable, I'd like to suggest that there are two areas where God tests us before he begins to promote us, before he begins to advance us to greater responsibilities to greater ministries. And anyone listening to this message tonight, let me be very clear. God wants to advance each one of us. I believe without any doubt in my mind, he has far greater responsibilities for each one of us than what any of us have yet attained to. He has far greater things in our future than anything we've ever done before. But, There are two areas where he's going to be checking us, testing us to see if we are faithful. And as he sees that we are men and women of integrity, that we fear God, that we can be trusted, i.e. that we are faithful, then he can begin to advance us. Here are the two areas. We've already touched on them, but I just want to summarize this Clearly, the first area is how are we with someone else's property or someone else's ministry? I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Oh, if it's my ministry, man, I'll be faithful. If it's my property, you better believe I'm going to take good care of it. But what about someone else's? How careful are we with equipment, or a car, or furniture? I mean, let's be very practical here. How careful am I with stuff that belongs to somebody else? And over the years, I've been amazed, and I don't mean to sound critical, but I've been amazed at the attitudes of some Christians when they come into the house of God... When they come into the church, it's like, oh, this is just church. I can spill coffee on the carpet and I can trash the equipment and and I can leave the place looking like a mess. And, you know, who cares? It's just the church. But then when I go home, boy, you better not mess with my couch. You better not spill something on my carpet or I'll deal with you. The reverse should be the the case. How careful am I with things that belong to someone else? Notice in the parable, they were faithful with someone else's property. The master entrusted his property into their hands. And how faithful are we in supporting someone else's project or someone else's ministry. Oh, if it's my project, boy, I'll be all passionate and excited and gung-ho. But if it's someone else's project, then eh, I'm not really too passionate. I'm really not too excited about it. And you know, it's sad that over the years I've seen this uh, operate many times where maybe the church has a project. It's an evangelistic outreach. Maybe it's showing an evangelistic film or whatever. You can fill in the blanks. But if it's not my idea, eh, I don't know. I'm probably not going to be too excited. And I don't really put much effort into it because it's not my idea. And you know, God uses this to show up in our character areas of selfishness that need to be taken to the cross. If if I only get excited about my own plan, my own project, my own ministry, then my motives are probably selfish in nature. And so, this is an area where the Master will test us. How faithful am I with someone else's property? How faithful am I with someone else's ministry or project or idea? The second area, how faithful are we in little things? Or at least things in our mind that we judge to be little or small matters. And again, They may seem small to us, but they may be very important to God. They may be very big deals with God. And so, these are two areas where God is going to be testing us. How faithful I am with someone else's property or ministry, and how faithful I am in little things. And we will be tested in these areas before God begins to entrust us with greater responsibilities. Now, let's move on to a second parable where this same concept is taught in a whole different context. And this is found in Luke chapter 16. And the text begins in chapter 1, but again, we're not going to read... The whole parable, I would strongly recommend that you read uh, Luke 16 from 1 down to verse 13 to get the whole story. But I'm just going to pick out uh, the master's judgment about this shrewd manager and what he had to say to him. And for the sake of time, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Luke 16, verse 10. And this is kind of the moral of the whole story. This is what Jesus was trying to teach through this parable. And here's what he says. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little, will also be dishonest with very much. Wow. We're going to come back to that. But reading on, so if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you? I'm sorry. Start over again with verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy, in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy, here it comes, with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, let's go back to verse 10. Whoever can be trusted, that's the whole concept of faithfulness. You can be trusted with something. Something can be entrusted into your hands, into your care. Whoever can be trusted, and Jesus uses a different word here, very little. This is even smaller than what we were talking about in the previous parable, and he uses a different Greek word here, which means the least or the smallest. Whoever can be trusted with the least little thing, with the smallest thing, can also be trusted with much. Let me stop there for a minute. What I'm learning, and trust me, I'm still learning on this, what I'm learning from this passage is, we often think what really matters is how big the thing is. That's not the case. It's not how big the matter is, It's our character. And whether it's a very little thing, or a very big thing, it really shouldn't matter. Because a faithful man, a faithful woman, can be trusted with both. Whoever can be trusted with very little, can be trusted with much. Because a faithful man or a faithful woman, they have integrity. And whether it's a little thing or a big thing, it's all extremely important to them because it's a matter of character. I remember years ago, a young man who was living with us, and he eventually entered full-time ministry. And some of you on this call would know who I'm talking about, if I gave his name. And I'll go ahead and give his name. Brother Ronnie Bullock. He's still serving the Lord today. And when he was living with us, he first came to stay with us, and without anybody even asking him to do it, he got a hold of a broom, and he decided he was going to clean the whole back porch of the place where we were living then. And I mean, he swept and swept and swept, and every particle of dust was removed from that porch. And I remember going out there and seeing him just working and working to clean this porch. And I said, Ronnie, that's clean enough. I mean, come on, man, that's good. And he looked at me and he said, I'm doing this for the Lord. Man, I felt so convicted I realized, wow, I need that kind of a character. I need that kind of a revelation. That whether I'm sweeping a back porch or preaching to 25,000 people in an evangelistic campaign, it really doesn't matter because it's a heart issue. Let me read this again. Whoever can be trusted with very little, A tiny little thing can also be, it doesn't say he will be, he can be trusted with much. And here's the scary part. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Works both ways. If we see that we're not real careful, we're not real trustworthy in little things, we better deal with that, because someday it's going to blow up and affect a big matter, a big thing, and not a little thing. If we'll cheat on 10 cents... We might one day cheat with $10 million. And if we'll tell a little white lie about something that's seemingly insignificant, we may may one day lie about great matters. So, our human perspective is to differentiate between little things and big things. Jesus here is teaching us it really doesn't matter. It's a matter of character. And when you have a a faithful character, it'll operate in little things and big things. And when you have a dishonest or an unfaithful character, it'll operate both in little things and in big things. Um, I know Brother David, who's on the phone tonight, He can remember this example from years ago. There was another brother that worked with us in the ministry, and he had gone out and gotten a part-time job at a drugstore. And his job was to count all the money in the cash register at the end of the day and tabulate all the money and make sure it matched the total number of receipts that had been entered into the cash register and then he was to close uh, the store for the night. Well, the very first night that he was left in charge of the store, he counted up all the money in the cash register and it came out to be, I think if my memory serves me, $20 more than what was supposed to be in there. Hmm. What would you do? Well, if I'm $20 off, it doesn't look real good to the boss on my first day. Maybe I didn't give the right change to somebody, or I forgot to enter the amount correctly in the cash register. Could have been any number of things. So maybe I better just pocket the $20 bill, and we'll call it even. I think that's what most people would have done. But thank God, this brother was a man of integrity, and he went straight to the boss the next morning, and he said, Boss, I don't know, I'm sorry, maybe I made a mistake or something, but I checked and double-checked, and there was $20 extra in the cash register over and above the total receipts for the day. So here's the extra $20. The boss got a big smile on his face, he shook that young man's hand, and he says, Congratulations, you passed the test, you're getting a raise. The boss had put the extra $20 in there, kind of like Joseph putting the extra silver in the sacks of his brother. He deliberately put that extra $20 in there, just to test this young man to see if he was going to be honest with money. And because... He could be trusted with $20. He was given much greater responsibilities immediately, and he even got a raise. First day of work, he got a raise on his new job. So, if we can be trusted in little things, Jesus says we can be trusted with great matters. If we're dishonest in little things, we will be dishonest with much. And in Luke 16 Following through on this, verse 11, Jesus says, If you've not been trustworthy with worldly wealth, just cash, money, worldly stuff, who will trust you with true riches? You see, money and wealth is not the true riches. There are true riches in the kingdom of God which are eternal. And God is testing us now, even in these worldly small things, to see if he can trust us with the true riches. And I'm not going to go off tonight in a big long speech about tithes and offerings and being faithful to give money back to God that belongs to him. I think we all know uh the teachings on giving. And I do not believe in teaching or preaching tithing to New Covenant believers. Tithing was an Old Covenant concept. The New Covenant takes us beyond tithing. Not beneath it. Not less than tithing. The New Covenant takes us way beyond that. And so the Old Covenant standard was a tenth of all of your property, a tenth of all of your income, was to be given back to God because it belonged to God. And we all know the passage in Malachi 3, where God accused the Israelites of robbing him. You have robbed me in tithes and in offerings. So, if the New Covenant believer is now being tested, not to see if he'll pay tithes, but to see if by the Spirit of God and the law of the Spirit, he can even move beyond that in generous giving. If we cannot be proven trustworthy in handling money, in handling offerings, and giving a portion of our income back to God. Who is going to trust us with the true riches? And some people think, ah, this isn't a big deal. God doesn't really care what I'm doing with my money. Oh, really? I would study this verse carefully, because how we handle worldly money dictates what true riches are going to be entrusted to us. And in verse 12 of Luke 16, we come across this same phrase again. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Notice there's a sequence here. God first gives us opportunities to be trusted with someone else's property, projects, ministry, business, whatever. And if we can't be trusted with that, how can we be trusted with our own stuff? If we can't be trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And sometimes we play games in our mind and we say, well, one day when I have my own ministry or my own church or my own house or my own this, that, or the other, then I'll be more careful. But this isn't my stuff, so it really doesn't matter. It's revealing something about our character. And this is what I want to try to bring out tonight as a key point in this whole Bible study. Going back to the very beginning, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. And my experience is, God in his mercy uses these two areas. Little things and other people's property. And how faithful am I in those two areas. And God in his mercy will engineer situations where he gives us little things to do. He trusts us with little responsibilities, and he may put us in charge of someone else's property, business, or ministry. And then he stands back and waits to see how faithful we are going to be? Am I faithful with little things, or am I just waiting for the big thing, and then I'll prove to the world how faithful I can be? Am I waiting until I have my own ministry and my own stuff to be faithful and diligent and careful, or am I understanding right now God is testing my character to see if I can prove myself faithful. You know, some years back, uh, we used to have a regular meeting in our church with some of the leaders. People who were responsible for different ministries and even for people who were aspiring to leadership. They wanted to be more involved in the church. They wanted You know, to have some kind of leadership responsibility in the church. So we would meet from time to time and talk about leadership and look at different scriptures and, and even on a very practical level, we would try to assign different responsibilities to some of these different ones. And unbeknownst to them, they were being tested to see how faithful they would be in some of these smaller tasks. And I'll never forget, one of these meetings, we were talking about the ministry of visiting people who were sick. It's an important ministry. Um, The New Testament addresses that in a number of places. And so we were talking about, you know, having different ones be responsible to visit people those folks in the church who were sick that particular week. And I'll never forget, one individual spoke right up and said, oh, no, 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 I'm not called to that. I thought, hmm, not called to that. No, I'm not called to that. And in so many words, what they were saying is, I'm called to be behind the pulpit. I'm called to preach. I'm called to to be up front with a, you know, a dynamic public ministry. I'm not called to visit the sick. Sadly, that individual eventually not only left the church, but caused great confusion in the church, divided our church, and took a number of families with them, and... Pastor Quacey knows who I'm talking about, I'm not going to mention names, but he recently met this individual, and they are not even living a Christian life now, not even going to church. So, you know, we can have all these grand aspirations, oh, I'm called to preach, I'm called to prophesy, I'm called to be a, a mighty worship leader, or have an international TV ministry. Well, that's great. Why don't we start with visiting the sick? Why don't we start with teaching Sunday school once a month and see if you can be faithful and responsible in that? And let me make this very clear. This is a biblical pattern. This isn't some wild idea that I've come up with. This is a biblical pattern, and our church, like any other church, should follow this pattern. Folks need to first be proven in little things before they are given greater responsibilities and before they are advanced to greater ministries. Maybe you are called to preach. That's great. Maybe God's called you to be an evangelist or an apostle. That's great. But he's first going to test you in little things. And that's what I want to look at next in a very important passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 6. And I believe we find here a model in the early church of how things were done and we should follow this same model. Acts chapter 6 from verse 1 to 7. I'm actually going to read All seven verses. Acts 6, from verse 1 to 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, I'm going to stop right there. This is the early church. They had real apostles. Peter, John. These men had walked with Jesus. They saw him risen from the dead. This is the early church. And they've already got what? Complaining. Oh, God have mercy. Complaining in the church? Huh, thank God we never have that. They were going through what I call growing pains. Every church goes through it. They were growing, and they were having some troubles that they needed to work out, and complaints were arising in a very carnal matter. Certain widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. (laughs) Doesn't sound like they were very spiritual, does it? Uh, We're not very spiritual either, and we usually end up complaining about carnal things, earthly material things. So that's what's happening here. The Grecians uh, are complaining against the Hebrews. Okay? Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let me point out, this is just a side note, but it's also related and it's extremely important. I want you to notice in verse 2, And again in verse 4, these apostles were committed, they were devoted to two things, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They were devoted to those two things. So much so that even though there was this problem in the church of food being distributed and serve to people, they they were so committed to these two ministries, prayer and the ministry of the word, they said in verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. And then in verse 4, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Folks, these are the two main ministries of any church. If we move away from these two main emphases, we're doomed. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. And I know those of you that are from New Life Church, you hear this all the time and you're going to keep hearing it. Come to prayer And attend Bible study. Now you don't have to go anywhere to attend Bible study. All you need to do is dial your telephone, get on your mobile phone, or log into the internet. You don't even have to get into your car to attend Bible study. And even if you're working on Wednesday nights... You don't need to miss Bible study because it's all recorded. You can go back later and listen to it. No excuse. And yet, we still have many people that habitually miss church on Sunday, miss prayer meeting on Friday, and don't listen to the Bible studies on Wednesday. And I don't mean to sound harsh or mean tonight, but speaking from 40 years of experience, I'm going to say something, and if you want to throw stones, you can. Uh, They're not going to reach me, but maybe they'll come through the phone or the computer screen, but I don't think so. I'm going to make a very bold statement here. People who are not committed to prayer and to Bible study will never go very far in their spiritual life. Sorry if I'm making you mad, but I'm going to repeat it. People who are not committed, let me add to that word, devoted. People who are not committed and devoted to prayer and to Bible study will never go very far in their spiritual life, and they certainly will never go very far in any kind of meaningful ministry. We need this kind of commitment that these apostles had. A commitment to prayer and to the Word of God. Oh, pastor, I'm too tired. Oh, I'm too busy. I know. I'm busy. I'm tired. But you do what's important. And somehow... We find time to eat, we find time to play, we find time to watch TV, and do all the things we like to do. And here again, what God is trying to show us is, this isn't a matter of time, or busyness, or how tired I am, it's a heart issue. God, give me a heart that's devoted to your word. God, give me a heart that is devoted to prayer, to worship, to seeking your face, to singing your praises. And let me ask you this question again, and you're the only one that can answer it. What is your commitment? These men were committed to prayer, and they were committed to the Word of God. Now, let me continue and finish this quickly. They had this problem in the early church. They needed someone to help them wait on tables. Doesn't sound very glamorous. Doesn't sound like a big deal. This is really a small matter. Waiting on tables. But remember what we've been talking about tonight. God will test us first in two areas. Am I going to be faithful in small or so-called insignificant things? And can I be trusted with other people's property, business, or ministry? This wasn't their problem. Waiting on the tables of these Grecian Jews wasn't their problem. Wasn't their business. And furthermore, I'm called to preach. I'm called to be a a mighty evangelist. Or a mighty prophet of the Lord. I can't waste my time waiting on tables. Well, notice in verse 3 here, even to wait on tables in the early church, certain qualifications were needed. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and Wisdom. I like that. Known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And if you study the original Greek, it's the word for witness or testimony. In other words, find seven people from the church who have a proven track record. They have a proven testimony that they are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Wisdom. And when you find seven people that meet those qualifications, turn this responsibility over to them. Remember the words we saw in those parables? Put them in charge. First have to be proven. Then put them in charge. This scripture always amazes me. To wait on tables... In the early church, you had to be full of the Holy Spirit. You had to be full of wisdom. Nowadays, in our churches, if we can find anybody who's willing to do any anything. Man, we'll put them in charge right away, without even checking to see if they're full of the Holy Spirit, if they're saved, or what kind of a spiritual life they have. That's wrong. That's very wrong. We shouldn't be entrusting people with important ministries or responsibilities who haven't first proven themselves in so-called small things, like waiting on tables, or let me add to that list, small things like church attendance. Oh, God forbid, is he going to preach about church attendance again? Yeah. Are you faithful in church attendance? Or do you come twice a month? Are you faithful in Bible study? Or is that not a real important matter? Are you faithful in prayer? Oh, too tired, too busy. When you're given the responsibility of picking up someone and bringing them to church, do you view that as a small matter or a very important matter? I've got to be faithful with this because this is a very important ministry. I'm picking up one of God's children and bringing them to the house of God to pray, to worship, to seek the Lord. You know, we've we've had a real problem in our church with Sunday school. And, you know, I know... Uh, Pastor David and his family are on the church, are on the uh, phone line tonight. And I I really have tremendous respect for people like this. They have a ministry to children and the young people. And they've proven that they take this very seriously. And it's sad, you know, in, in many cases, if somebody gets signed up To do Sunday school one Sunday, it's, hmm, I don't really want to do Sunday school. And, you know, we've seen a whole gamut of responses ranging from people who don't even show up. They were signed up for Sunday school, they don't even show up. But it gets worse. They lost all the materials. They were given Sunday school materials, and we don't know where they are. Maybe they're floating down the Mississippi River somewhere. I'm sorry, i got to speak to these things because I'm passionate about this. We're not going anywhere if we can't first be faithful in some of these little things. And I'm not even suggesting that Sunday school is a little thing. It's a big thing. And yet we often see carelessness... With some of these responsibilities, whether it's transportation, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's cleaning up the church after a meeting, these are all important ministries. And I want to bring all this to a close tonight by reminding you, there are two areas where God is looking at every one of us. And I'm preaching to myself tonight, as much as anyone else. Am I faithful in little things? Can I be trusted with little things? And am I faithful with someone else's property? With someone else's project or ministry? And you don't need to turn there, but in First Timothy 3, verses 1 to 13, Paul talks at length about how people need to be tested and proven before they're put into positions of leadership and responsibility in the church. And here in Acts 6, because of the way they went about this, they chose seven men who were full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and gave them this responsibility. If you read further in the book of Acts, you'll notice that Stephen and Philip, two of these seven men, shortly thereafter, they were used mightily by God. Actually, the very next verse, Acts 6 8, it says, Stephen, a man full of grace, of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. And Philip, we know from Acts 8, was the first one to take the gospel to Samaria. They had a mighty revival. Demons were cast out. Sick people were healed. Many, many people were brought to the Lord through Philip's ministry. And yet, they started out waiting on tables. Huh interesting. No, 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 pastor, I'm not called to wait on tables. Just send me out to do great signs and wonders. I don't think that's going to happen. I think God will first put us on the tables. He'll first give us some small things, seemingly small things, to see if we can be trusted, to see if we will be faithful. Lord, help us to be faithful in little things. Help us to understand that little things are extremely important to you. And really, in the grand scheme of things, there isn't any such thing as little. Because they're all important revelators of our inner character. So I want to close praying tonight. Lord, help us to be faithful men, faithful women. Help us, Lord, to be trustworthy, even with insignificant, small, tiny things, so that you may advance us, that you may promote us to greater and larger things, and that ultimately you can entrust us with your kingdom, with your power, with your authority. You can put us in charge of cities, O oh God. Lord, you can put us in charge of the church. What an awesome thought that you would trust us with such great things. But Lord, help us to be faithful first in the small things. God, I pray for each one listening to this Bible study you are a faithful God, and you want us to be like you. I pray, O oh God, for an impartation of that integrity, of that trustworthiness, of that faithfulness into each and every one of our lives, and we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory forever and ever, amen.